but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> it's funny, I had a way that I was going to start this episode, and now I've completely lost it. Um, so, um, I was thumbing through Netflix last night. Yeah. And there's this doc, a documentary on the Spitfire. Okay. Uh, and yeah. it was really pretty good. Yeah. Um, some stuff I didn't really know about. It talked about some of the, all the different models and marks and, and how it, uh, you know, went from a 400 mile an hour airplane to a 500 mile an hour airplane, things like that. Um, um. Very, very interesting little thing. I just, what, what was the occasion? Did, was it, it was. was it, it was just it's one of the documentaries that Netflix carries. I was just thumb, okay. I was just thumbing through, and so is it new or is it because Netflix has a lot of older documentaries? Yeah, They're it's, good. it's a 2018 a copyright or, or date on Netflix. I don't okay. I don't know exactly all that means, but um, Spitfire. Did they talk about that two fuselage Spitfire that maybe we're going to see this summer? That's a Mustang. Spitfire. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. It's a Mustang. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, on on Netflix is just like you know everyone. Netflix is very very famous. You know, notorious almost these days for the new stuff they're doing. Um, yeah. But they also have collected an incredible uh, amount of you know sort of older older videos oh, yeah. and documentaries and, and particularly documentaries. Um, so. Anyways, yeah, they, um, they still don't have you know, like Sky King or Ripcord though. Oh yeah, I know, right? Did I see recently that it has uh, uh, uh what was that the the show about the ultra high tech helicopter where they actually? Oh yeah, Airwolf. Airwolf. That's Airwolf. Airwolf. Jan Michael. Jan Michael Vincent. Yeah. 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 For some reason, I've seen uh, uh, references to that recently. I don't know if that's available anywhere. So there's that one. What other historic television shows would we want to watch that were um, airplane related? I guess Knight Rider is out there somewhere floating around. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've even seen like Dynasty or or the early early Dallas episodes. Dallas would be fun to watch. Dallas, I haven't watched Dallas in a million. I was one of those people, man. I, we, me and my girlfriend, watched Dallas religiously every whatever Wednesday, whatever day of the week it was. It was back in the days when you had to like watch TV had, at a particular you, date and time. It was, yeah, it was, it was an event. Um, it that it people, was totally an event. Yeah, yeah, people went home to watch, or you know, um, I, I remember that summer of you know, who shot Jr. Who shot Jr. Man, so I'm sorry. All right, yes, this is fascinating. We could talk about this for a long time, but we are but here to talk about airplanes. This totally violates my rule about starting the podcast with an aviation story. <laughs> well, um, you did. You, you Spitfire. I guess I'm the one who just straight away. The one that I was going to start talking about here was this. Uh, these videos about the blacked out um, uh, uh, night. They call them night stalker helicopters um, in Los Angeles. Did you see these videos? This is like a little bit freaky. All right. So if I understand the story correctly, what happened here is that this was some sort of law enforcement slash military training exercise. This is this is what they want you to think. Well, you know, maybe, huh? Um, and uh, um, where they they somewhat blocked off various sections of downtown Los Angeles in the at night um, and flew helicopters in between the buildings 
um, landing them and simulating again, quote unquote, you know, finger quotes, simulating um, picking up, um, you know, people and and flying them out. Um, and a lot of people in the buildings around this caught it on video. Apparently, I, I saw two or three different angles on this. Um, and two things I found notable at this one is that they were flying these helicopters without lights. All right. Um, and uh, and that was a little spooky to see these helicopters. And the other thing is they were flying them well below rooftop level. Yeah. See, that's um, why not having the lights on shouldn't matter. I mean, nobody else is down there. Yeah, right. Except pedestrians. Uh, except pedestrians. Well, I think they had the pedestrians and the traffic out. Um, but obvi- obviously from the videos, there were people in the buildings around it. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I-, I took comfort, if you want to call it that, from one aspect of this. And that is that although these helicopters were in the – it was in the dark from our perspective. we got to figure that the people flying these helicopters, it was like as light as day because they've got all kinds of gear for being able to see in the dark like that. Um but it was a something, man. They were flying these helicopters in between down the down the city street. I mean, it was like a it was like a, you know a, a, a scene from Avengers or I don't know what some 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 action movie you know where they're flying the helicopter down down Broadway. You know, um, I wonder it, how much the the pilots had to pay uh, to get on that mission. <laughs> Maybe how huh? you think it was a thing to yeah. to uh, you know. They had to probably be the best of the best. Hey, maybe. Sarge, what are, you, what are we doing tonight? Oh, we're going to go fly between the buildings in downtown L.A. Cool. Oh, I, I don't think I want to do that. I know. <laughs> you know I know. That, that's not a conversation that occurred. One of my all-time favorite video games was goes way back to the early days of Macintosh. It was called Apache Strike. Um, yeah. And... Uh, and it ran on the old, old classic Mac. I mean, it's that long ago, all right, you know. And uh, it was it was miraculous for its time, even though it was basically just wireframe, um, you know, images. But basically, you would fly this helicopter, this Apache-ish helicopter, down the city streets like that in, in between the buildings. And there'd be bad guys coming at you, and you'd be trying to shoot them, and they'd be trying to shoot you. And you could, you know, make 90-degree turns left or right in order to follow the streets. And I really loved that game. That was a cool game. And uh, every now and then I see reference to it that it might be playable on an emulator. Um, uh-huh. But uh, I've yeah. never actually accomplished that. So, But, yeah, but, but they were doing it for real in these videos, in this training exercise, quote-unquote, Jeb. Right. Is, Jeb's our resident conspiracy Tra- theorist, tra- although I've been known exercise. to, yeah, I've been known yeah. to carry some water in that regard as well. So, anyways, that was... Uh, that was uh, quite a video, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know what to say about it other than that was quite a video. You got to check it out. We'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. But uh, yikes, yikes! Did uh, I'm not sure what the what the follow up is on this. Did you have you I, did I, you guys I, actually see this video? Um, I've I've saw pictures and stills in some of the video. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know. Yeah. Looks, Anybody, by the look, way, looks like Beirut to me. You know. A little bit, doesn't it? You know, I mean, I guess, you know, sort of. It's much worse there than that. But, yeah, I get your point. Um, by the way, fair warning to anybody who does watch these videos, um, you know, not family-friendly language. <laughs> the uh, the civilians watching these, vid- videoing these things um, were excited about it. Yeah. Well, there, <laughs> and, there's, a, there's another link um, also to From the Drive. There's a link in that story, I should say, that... Um, basically, there was a Navy P-8 um, Maritime Patrol surveillance aircraft, which is a military version of the 737. Oh, okay. Um, just orbiting over 
Los Angeles. And it was it was literally just making circles over Los Angeles the whole time. Yeah. Cap. Or, I don't know Apparently cap. for the same event. Right. Well, I would imagine. Yeah. If not Cap, certainly communications, you know, yeah. um, was probably relaying. Probably the commanders were up there or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it was a crazy thing. I, watching the, you know, I mean, I and I get that these guys, guys and women who are flying these helicopters are highly trained and, and and not the first time they've ever done this kind of thing. But man, it looked scary, dangerous. Um, and like I said, I took comfort from the fact that they could probably see way better than we could, um, and uh, and had spotters looking out left and right, and you know, and and you know, one other thing, they've probably done this before. Well, that's what I'm saying. They've done it before. So, anyways, oh, you know, speaking of done it before, welcome, folks, to uncontrolled airspace. The General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from, uh, it's still winter, but it's slowly getting better, uh, Dover, New Hampshire, on the shores of the, the beautiful and raging Cochico River. Um, is that anywhere the uh, is that anywhere near Mount No Segway? <laughs> Mount No Segway. That's, that's where, uh, what's his name? The, never mind, it's a different Segway. Uh, so uh, I'm here, and I uh, just got back from a trip. I was in Orlando and uh, San Antonio uh, for two weeks, two and a half weeks, and uh, and just got back for the deepest part of the winter. I'm here for a couple weeks, and then I go away again. But uh, um, winter's slowly running, winding down here, and uh, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I seem to be tolerating it. Living here, so I love Lookout Point. I mean, Lookout Point is a very, very cool place, um, and. Uh, um, and I'm glad it's still in the family and still available to me. But living there in the winter is an adventure. Um, it is not really well winterized. And um, living in even a basic apartment like I am now is so much more comfortable. And, and it makes it so much easier to tolerate winter that uh, that uh, I'm, I'm, you know, much more comfortable this winter than I've been in any winter recently. Um, and that's even factoring in the fact that I often escape for large parts of it. So, anyways, um, here in my, my uh, in my uh, surprisingly <laughs> comfortable uh, uh, virtual hangar, talking to my two good friends, talking way too much this morning. What I, listeners I, don't know. I am, I am really happy for you, Jack. What listeners don't know, and 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 uh, is that we had a very very long conversation prior to pushing record here, where uh, uh, where I I told I went on I literally told a forty five minute story about something, and now I can't stop talking. So we need to do something about this. Talking to my two good friends, one of those voices out there, actually not, we haven't heard very much from him, but I'm going to go to him first just to wake him up, is uh, is from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, Dave Higdon. Good morning, Dave. How you doing? Uh, oh, am, am I on now? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got I to gotta shut up. I'll, I'll try got, and be quiet got to jump in, man. How many years have we been doing this? <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. going on, David? Oh, well, we're uh, enjoying a nice sunny uh, late morning here ahead of what's supposed to be a severe winter storm coming in tonight and tomorrow so uh enjoying it while it lasts we've got a real heat wave here it's in the 40s oh yeah 40s is good we had 40 yesterday we're supposed to have 40 today um when you say a severe winter storm uh what temperature and how much snow uh i didn't get to watch the forecast long enough to get that detail all i caught was this red screaming trailer across the bottom of the screen saying winter storm warning starting at six this evening and running through till saturday morning so saturday morning yeah today's thursday right yep last i checked 
I don't know. How long did we talk? Yeah, it's still Thursday. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, How long did we let Jack talk this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, uh, good luck with that, David. I, we had a little bit of snow here, but uh, I'm sympathetic. Um, so, uh, But my other good friend I'm not so sympathetic about. I, I was going to say, I know exactly what y'all are talking about, because it, yeah. it was cold here this morning. I know. It was right. 50. Whoa! <laughs> How do you live that way? How do you oh, live you, that way? You know, you poor sacrifices. Soul. We, 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 we're, we're just. I, I, re- I recommend heaters for your flip flops. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Hang on here. Really gonna, um, uh, my my other good friend is from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. That's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. Hi. Hi. How are y'all? Did it rain there? Uh, so I was talking with another Florida friend the other day yeah. who was commenting, who was making, you know, gather the animals and get them into an ark <laughs> comment. All right. Uh-huh. Is that what's going on it, down it there? It rained. What's the, it started raining, I guess, Tuesday night. And it rained most of uh, yesterday. It quit noonish, I guess. And uh, then the then the temperature, it had been fairly humid and, you know, low-lying fog in the morning, that kind of thing. Um, and this cold front came through yesterday-ish. And uh, it's been kind of chilly. Uh, for Florida, for Sarasota, but you know, blue skies, some, br- some breeze, and whatnot. After the rain went through, mm-hmm. so, so so, but the it was, pond is full. Is was, what you're saying? It was crisp this morning. Excuse me, the lake is full this morning. I was wondering what you were talking about. The lake is is not all that full actually. <laughs> it was it was down a little bit um, already. Longtime listeners will know that Jeb and I have a little bit of an arm wrestle going on about what what is the status of that that body of water in his backyard and uh, um anyways but but yeah um the lake is fine good glad to hear it glad to hear it what's going on out in the world i got a couple follow-ups here um let's see now i'm not going to do them in the right order here let me see now i want to go with this cub thing first so uh in uh, a previous episode maybe the last episode we uh talked about a, an accident report that we had seen or a rescue report we had seen about uh, uh, some people who were rescued out of a cub and the story said three people were rescued out of this cub and we were we were marveling over the idea that maybe a cub shouldn't be having three people in it but listener uh uh, dr stephen b um uh, contacted me in uh um email or somehow he contacted and, and he sent me and he said quite simply he said there are third seat mods for the PA18 and they're frequently used in Alaska he writes yeah that's a super cub yeah, yeah. so yeah. so it's maybe not all that scandalous that three people no, were in i don't i don't did we mean to say or imply that it was scandalous i think we did really I, well, yeah. What you know? I, I forget well, I mean, what the. We, well, didn't we talk about like a handheld child or something? Yeah, but I don't think we necessarily. Right, hang on a second. All right, go ahead. Yeah, what, so, I, I, you know what I want to do? I want to find because I think a lap child. Yeah, I want to. Where to go here? Because I seem to remember that the little headline that we used suggested our attitude about this. Where did okay, it go well, here? Could be. Uh, when did we talk about this? Was it last episode or was it two episodes? Oh, wait. No, here we go. No, okay. I thought you made some snippy. Comment. I may have. I, no, but you I didn't. Have, but it, you didn't. I, I, didn't, I don't know that it was scandalous. But yeah. I was, more, I was thinking more about did we misidentify the airplane? 
Right. Um, can the reporter count? Um, you know, what, whatever. Right. Information frequently yeah. gets lost. In these so, situations. anyways, it could well have been a Cub family aircraft that was legal for three people. Absolutely. Um, is the point here. So, thank you to Dr. Stephen B. for that information, that update. Well, there, there was a Cub cousin that I think came from the factory with three seats. Like, the uh, the fuselage was widened just a little bit uh-huh. behind the, uh, yeah. behind the uh, wing, and... A, uh, a a small seat for two small people behind it, and a single seat up front. But I uh, can't find it online. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it was the Piper Cruiser, but it's not. That's not triggering anything. Mm-hmm. Well, while you're looking for that, um, the other follow-up I've got here is um, so. This is one of these stories. I mean, this may this is what, there super, was another subject. Yeah, super cruiser. Super cruiser. Yeah, yeah. Super cruiser. Okay. Um, there was a story a while back that I kept getting tangled up in, and people kept trying to say, "Oh, I know it was the uh, it was the ski jump ramp on the uh, uh, on <laughs> aircraft carriers." Okay, um, and it feels like this flying helicopter from the left or the right seat history subject is going to be one of these things that people keep telling us, you know, keep checking in on. So um, uh, email from we, listener uh, Mike from M. Go ahead. What's that? We never heard from Turbo on this. Uh, never heard from Turbo on this particular subject. That's correct. He, okay. he has not weighed in yet on why many helicopters are PIC'd from the right seat. No, he has not. Um, but, but listener Mike M. from St. Louis has uh, weighed in. Uh, sent me an email. Good evening, Jack. First and foremost, I mean, thank you for all your efforts. That's very kind. I don't mean to jump over it, but I, I didn't read this in order to get complimented here. Um, I am, I'm a commercial helicopter pilot and instrument single-engine land airplane pilot. To date, I still have not heard you all say the true reason PIC is in the right seat of a helicopter. You ignorant sluts. Uh, no, he didn't write that. <laughs> he, he didn't say that. He didn't write that. Um, uh, but he says he, he still hasn't heard the true reason. Uh, he, say, he writes, uh, in a helicopter, the collective, which is the lever is on the, that does changes the pitch and power on the, on the rotor, the main rotor, um, is on the left side of the seat, whether you're sitting right or left. And then obviously the cyclic, which is sort of what we would call the yoke, um, is between your legs. In a helicopter, you always have to hold the cyclic, uh, unlike a plane that can be trimmed out and let go of the yoke. Therefore, that leaves the only free hand always being your left hand, no matter which seat you are in. Uh, so if you're acting as the sole pilot and sitting in the left seat, that would mean reaching across your body to make all radio or panel changes. He writes, this is an awkward feeling. When sitting in the right seat, you can always hold the cyclic and have your left hand free to work the panel without reaching across your body. That makes as um, much sense as anything I've heard. Yeah. And he says, I hope this makes sense to you boys. Keep up the great work. Uh, hope our paths cross someday, um, as I would like to shake your hands and introduce myself. Well, I'd love to shake your hand, too. And thank you for this information. Um, Thanks, Mike. In my defense, I tried to describe <laughs> this situation um, when we were talking about this way back when. I think I put it in the context of flying um, a, a, a control stick, um, um, you know, air, uh, the, the uh, control stick uh, aircraft way back when. 
um, and having to reach across my body or having a change to put the stick in my left hand. Um, but he, he, he expresses it much more elegantly and, 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 you know, knows what he's talking about. So anyways, um, yeah, uh, Mike M from St. Louis. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate that. That's, that's, uh, so, uh, I, I it, it's something of a way of an explanation that falls under a heading that we seldom do. It makes what? sense. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to take up too much podcast time with something making sense. So I guess we'll just move on here. Um, when we haven't recorded an episode in two or three weeks um, because of various travel and 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 you know personal things. Um, when we recorded the last episode, the uh, government shutdown was still underway, um, and um, a lot of government employees, in in our case, particularly FAA and aviation-related employees um, were either not working or working and not getting paid, and we were bemoaning the fact that. And maybe we did that more in the after show, but it was a bad thing. Um, that shutdown has currently uh, been resolved, although it's not 100% sure it won't come back. Um, but um, since then, there has been talk about possible legislation. You guys better correct me on this. So is this legislation about trying to make it so that regardless of whether the government shuts down FAA people will get their paychecks. Is that, is that what this is the proposal here? I haven't read it all that much. Um, and you know, sort of the question on our list here is: if that's what they're talking about, is that even a good idea? Well, well, from go ahead, Dave. David, go. From I've been collecting string on this since they filed the bill. I believe it's eleven oh eight, and uh, the, the idea is to not put. FAA through even a partial shutdown. Uh, they introduced a bill that would allow the FAA to continue to be funded out of the airport and airways trust fund in the event of another government shutdown and, you know, the lack of a spending bill, which is part of what fed the, the shutdown. Uh, we needed a spending bill passed. The Senate unanimously passed uh, uh, its version. The House went along with it, sent it over to 1600 PA Avenue, where uh, first he was for it, and then he was not. And so we had 35 days of shutdown, and a whole lot of FAA functions came to a screeching halt. Like uh, you hit the... you hit V1 and lost an engine and needed to get it stopped before the end of the runway. That's what was going on. Uh, a lot of certification work, renewing uh, 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 approvals for people to uh, do their jobs. Uh, aircraft transactions were uh, continued at a lower rate because after a shutdown a couple of years ago, the new FAA reauthorization had language to keep that from happening to Oklahoma City again. But the controllers continued to work. Traffic continued to flow. Uh, they just weren't getting paid for it. And quite a number of other FAA people weren't going to work, period. And it was really messing with the system. So this bill would automatically tap the airport and airways trust fund to keep the FAA running at full capacity and the people paid in the event of another shutdown. And I, I got mixed feelings about using the airport and airways trust fund. That so, was going to be my first question, yeah. So because will it ever get repaid? You know, that's, that's my fear, and I'd like to see language in there that guarantees that the money's restored. Uh, 
because right now you can't use the airport and airways trust fund for what AOPA used to call staples and paper clips. Uh, that is operating the, the the agency itself. Well, there, there is the there is. I'm an, sorry. They, they changed that a few years back. There is a portion of of, of the trust fund that goes to FAA operations. Um, that's that that horse is out of the barn. Um, I don't know. There, I, peeling the onion here. I don't know that. Um, um, there's a provision in there that would reimburse the trust fund. You know, somewhere down the road, you know, someone might make a note that, you know, in the margins that the trust fund funded the FAA for a month or something like that. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 um, I like the idea of language that keeps the FAA open and functioning. At, 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 that's, you know, you know that's the important part. And I, I yeah. you know, this is a band aid. You kind of sort of need to fix the the underlying right. flaws right. I mean, that allow this kind of three ring circus to occur. Yeah, but, I mean it's not. It's more than a band aid. And I, I, yeah, see, so this puts me. So let me break away from aviation for a second. So I, I do. I've done a lot of work over the years in the software engineering programming um, industry. All right, um, and. And there's a there's a bad behavior on the part of, of programmers. So so programmers write code, they write programs, all right, and then those programs naturally, it's not a criticism, contain bugs, all right. It's the way it works. And then you go back through the code and you find the bugs and you fix them. That's the way it's supposed to work. There's a there's a sort of style, if you want to call it that, of programming, um, th- where instead of fixing the bug, what you do is you write code all around the area of the bug so that it's sort of senses the bug and does weird workarounds to to mitigate the problem that the bug causes all right um it's considered very inelegant as we say in programming um and and a bad bad way to do it all right um what you really need to do is not code around the bug and kind of hide it and band-aid it up you need to fix the bug Mm -hmm. right by the same token um Having a having a situation where you can kind of special case pay this de- department, you know, in the case of a shutdown, it's just like that doesn't seem like the right way to do this. We should be like not doing shutdowns. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, you know, and and if the FAA gets this kind of of capability, mm-hmm. what's to say the national parks isn't going to get it, or the you know NTSB isn't going to get it, you know, or or you know, it's just like it, it's too complicated. It's like let's let's not. Work. Let's not code around this bug. Let's yeah. fix the bug. Um, would be my preference. Um, and unfortunately, there's unlikely to be legal language that Congress could enact and a, and a president would sign that would prevent another shutdown. Yeah. When you have the kind of intransigence that's yeah kind no, of all over it. this. I get it. We're in a bad situation right now. Um, I'd like to think that. Yeah, I don't know what I'd like to think. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no other, to my knowledge, no other republic on the planet has to put up with this nonsense. It's you know, it's just it's just stupid. Um, yeah, you know, um, um, it's a stupid institution or or whatever. But um, come on, let's 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 yeah. start acting like so. you know, uh, uh, we're we're mature adults here. On the other hand, the fact that FAA was shut down, I mean, that, that, not shut down, but that, that that situation happened, you know, with these 
folks trying to help us and do their work and not getting paychecks. And by the way, to this day, I think some of them haven't got their paychecks yet. All right. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. You know, so it's a bad situation. I mean, here's how bad the situation was. The situation is so bad that I found myself in a situation where I actually said something kind to a TSA agent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, this is my probably, this is, probably probably needed it right about that. Uh, you know, I, I was I was going on a like I said after the last episode, I was going on a trip and the shutdown was still underway. Um, and I'm standing in line at TSA to get on into my you know to get into the gate areas to go on my flight. Um, and um, I'm just kind of standing there and 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 it's in my nature to be. I think it's in my nature to be kind and understanding. And the part of me wanted to say something, and another part of me goes, "This is the TSA. They're they're not you know." And and I get in the line and I walk up to the person and I show them my ticket, my my boarding pass and my my ID. And and as I'm standing there, I go, I, I just kind of I just came out of my mouth. I go, "How are you guys holding up?" All right. And and the and it was a woman. Maybe that was part of the factor, which is bad. It shouldn't I shouldn't. You know, just because it was a woman TSA agent, but uh, uh, you know, and she goes, "Well, you know, we're get we're we're doing okay." And I said, "I said, yeah, it's a bad." I, I I used a curse. I said, "It's bad. This is bad." All right. And she said, "Well, it's nice that so many people are being very kind about it." All right. She thought, and I said, "Well, that is nice. I'm glad that's true." All right. You know, because although I'm not wild about TSA as a as a thing. These are just folks who are trying to do a job and earn a living, and and they're not getting paid either. And to get abused the way they were getting abused, you know, and 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 apparently still haven't gotten paid yet, you know. So, well, um, but you know what? If it can bring me to saying something nice to a TSA agent, because I'm really terse, I really want a minimal relation, you know, in connection or or, or, or interaction with these folks. Um, but yeah, it's bad. It's pa- it's bad. Pa- I, powerful medicine, as my grandmother, my late grandmother. <laughs> I mean, I was genuinely starting to become a little bit concerned about flying. Um, I, I'm thinking, you know, because some serious experts were saying that the uh, duration of the shutdown and the and the uh, the effects it was causing were starting to measurably impact aviation safety, uh, and uh, and that it wasn't going to fail gracefully. I mean, it could well fail catastrophically. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. it, it was, well, it's, it's funny though that the whole the, the the shutdown itself was just moving along, quote unquote, swimmingly, uh, until one day, one morning, about ten o'clock, um, people started pointing out that flights in inbound to LaGuardia, yeah, had been, had, day, had, had been a, there'd been a ground stop. Yep, and the reason published on the FAA website, which I looked up in real time, was staffing issues at the Washington Center. Mm-hmm. And that I heard that too. Yep, that spread like wildfire across the Twitter, and then into the ma- in mainstream media by noonish or so, and a couple of other airports had gotten added to the ground stops. And they were clearly saying that it was a, uh, a staffing issue because the air traffic controllers weren't getting paid. And by that yeah. by that night, and I think the flight attendants jumped on this too. So you know, yep. guys, you're all screwing up here, and our people are going to be on the front lines of this and fix it. And that evening, it got fixed. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I agree. It was. That's an interesting coincidence, and maybe not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. It's not a coincidence. So, anyways, but I'm, well, I'm I'm dubious about a legislation that says these particular people get paid one way or the other. It just doesn't, yeah, it's, it's well, just it, yeah. 
that 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 system's already in place, Jack. I yeah. mean, we already have people that can, in the federal government who continue to get paid, who continue to go to work. It was only about eight hundred thousand people that were affected because, quote unquote, it was only a partial shutdown. Right, but as we discovered, although they were earning their pay, they weren't getting paychecks. Yeah, that's right, and, and that's a big deal. Right? It is damn big deal. Yeah. Well, I have a, a message for the people that could, you know, correct this. And it's a quote from one of my favorite movie characters, Eric Von Zipper. You stupid, <laughs> fix it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Moving on Mo- here. Moving on. Moving on. All right. We got a bunch of this. Well, why, where are we here? We're, oh, we were just having a good time here. Um, oh, you've got to uh, go a long way around the bar to come up with an Eric Von Zipper quote that fits. <laughs> 747. This 3D uh, image, 3D model thing of a 747 fire tanker is pretty cool. Uh, when I saw this on the list, I thought, well, I don't know whether that's worth talking about. But I, I uh, then I started playing with it. Uh, very, very cool. You can like, you know, uh, it's like Google Street View inside a uh, 747 fire tanker. It's really kind of cool that you can you can rotate around oh, this yeah. cutaway image of the tanker and then click into it so that you're actually standing inside the tanker and you can actually navigate around the various areas of the tanker and see the systems and see. It's pretty cool. It's it pretty is cool. slick. Yeah. Um, more and more, this is, and I, this, I don't know whether this one is. I've read that there's the Google technology, the Google Street View technology is, is applicable like this. Uh-huh. Um, there's a guy, there's a computer guy here in Dover who is in the business of of creating these kinds of, you know, uh, street viewy kinds of, of things, and uh, he sells his services. You can so if you want, you know, that kind of a, of a navigation navigable view of your factory facility, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. All right, he'll come and do it. And uh, what's really um, cool about this is I had no idea how all of the tanks were arranged on one of these. I, I yeah. kind of figured that they did something in the luggage compartment. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because they're know, on just, the... Just, just blocked off a luggage compartment and put a drain in the bottom of it or something and called that a water tank. Right. Uh, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. No, these are on the level that would normally be the seating, you know, the passenger seating. Uh-huh. And uh, um, the thing that struck me about the tanks... Um, was that there were so many of them. I had always envisioned that there would be fewer, bigger tanks um, it, because I, it, it just seemed to me that that's what you would need in order to in order to eject this, you know, whatever it was, retardant or water, quickly enough. You'd need, you know, relatively large openings from a few tanks. Um, there's just a whole bunch of tanks. There's a limit uh, uh, how big they can make those tanks and still get them through the cargo door. Oh, of course, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, because these are not permanent installations necessarily. These can can go yeah, they, in and out. They weren't put there when the airplane was built. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, ship in a bottle kind of thing. Yeah, huh? okay, yeah, I, I get mean, it. You always yeah. make a new door, but uh, um, yeah, there's a number of things that come to mind. One is just you know operational f- flexibility. They don't have to dump. Um, uh, they don't have to fill all the tanks. If one of them fails. They can still dispatch. There's you know all kinds of things like that. Yeah. Um, there's also weight and balance. You know, and and notice how these tanks seem to be interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, that so they can move things around. They can, they and, can uh, change the the, uh, the loading of the airplane. Yeah. It's, it's the whole thing is just fascinating here. 
the way yeah. the way they did this. If you look on the lower level, you can see the discharge plumbing. And that, that, that's some big piping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they definitely want to move a lot of, uh, of uh, fluid or whatever it is uh-huh. quickly. And uh, so, anyways, that's a cool thing. Uh, again, we'll put the link in the show notes. I think if you probably Googled 747 Fire Tanker 3D imagery or something like that, you might find it. Yeah. And, uh, um, what I want to know is how do they fill it? What a big, yeah, well, I'm big sure there's hose. a. Yeah, right. I'm sure there's a plug. Yeah, this is not one of those they skim across the lake to. Yeah, that's that. That's why I was thinking the in, the engine nacelles would be in the water right. before a scoop could be. Right, right. But they drop a hose and uh, they hang the hose down the back and then drag it along the surface of the water. No, that's probably not how they do it. Um, wow. So uh, there's there's got to be a good segue for this, but I don't know what it is. Uh, the Earth's magnetic north is on the move. All right, it's apparently hurtling. Towards Russia, which is has so many which, different layers. Which is, of, as a of course, it's going towards Russia. <laughs> right, yeah. Which is, you know, but uh, strictly speaking, that is what it's doing, literally. So, magnetic north. Magnetic north, I mean, we all know this. We're pilots. We learned a little bit about magnetic compasses and whatnot, all right? Magnetic north is not the North Pole, all right? It's this place where the Earth as a magnet has its sort of North Pole, all right? Um, and it naturally is moving over time. Because it does. That's the way it works, all right? Nothing crazy about that. And, it wanders. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know if it wanders, or, but it, yeah, it moves, all right? And, and, and I know this. I know this very, 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 uh, or, uh, I, don't know, I was going to say graphically, very, very, you know, uh, close to my heart. Um, because my beloved runway 30 at uh, Palo Alto Airport, where I learned how to fly, all right, um, is no longer runway three zero. All right, it's the same runway. It hasn't moved. They haven't. I. I mean, they've repaved it, but it's basically the same runway. All right, but now it's runway three one. Um, and you have to you have to spell that out in California because it's possible the runway could have physically moved. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, that's true too. But uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's moved because the you know the very what are the variants very oh, what's the word uh, variance variance um, changes as the North Pole the magnetic North Pole moves, all right? Um, the gotcha here is that um, scientists apparently are kind of like um, startled or, 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 or marveling over the fact that the North Pole is suddenly moving much faster than it usually does, faster than they had expected. Um, and as a result, apparently it's messed up some navigation stuff. Um, they've had to do updates to various databases more more frequently than they had planned and... Uh, um, um, there's a lot of talk, and there always has been all my life, about the idea that the north-south might flip uh, on Earth, and uh, and they think that this might be a sign that 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 you know that kind of thing is is happening. Um, now, before we go too further down this too far down this road, apparently hurtling towards Russia really means that it's moving about you know like you know. A, a tenth a few, of a mile an hour. I mean, it's very slow. Even hurdling. Yeah, it's it, a few inches a year. Yeah, it's yeah. very slow, all right? Um, it's geologically, or whatever word you want to use, it's faster than it usually is, and it's fast enough that it's kind of messing up some of the databases. Um, but uh, um, So it's hurdling is a, is a, you know. And also in terms of the North Pole, whoa, 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 South whoa, 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 whoa. Pole. What? This, this article says its pace is around 34 miles per year. That's not inching. 
Oh, yeah, that's faster yeah, that's, than I would have thought. That's, that's galloping. That's a stroll, anyway. That's hurtling. Um, well, there are scientists working on the question, what would happen if the Earth's solid metal core, which is the big part of this generator that creates our magnetic field, what if it were to get so far over it flipped? Right. Maybe got so that the uh, axis it rotates on goes through the equator instead of up and down. Uh, boy, wouldn't that wreak havoc on all of our compass? Oh, it sure would. And and it has. I mean, it's not like this is a, you know, a, a science fiction nightmare. Uh, you know, they know from looking at the way metal is oriented in old rocks, um, they can tell that the north-south poles have flipped numerous times over geologic history. But we're talking like a million years ago, or I don't know, a long time ago is the last time it flipped. And by the way, to the extent that this hurtling towards Russia thing might be an early sign that the flip is coming, what that really means is that the flip is like 10,000 years in the future or 1,000 years in the future or something like that. It's not like next week or next year, you know. It's not like, you know, your 2020 ADSB stuff is not going to work because um, the poles flipped. Um, so uh, well, I, I, wonder, uh, I wonder if the metric compass would fix this, help help fix this. A, a metric compass? So I don't know. You think, you know, I mean, metric is better than, than non-metric. Yeah, I mean, so. you, you get greater resolution. Um, I don't know. I have to think about that. I don't know. I don't know. So here's what made me, here's what I thought of. When I thought about the fact that the North Pole is moving faster than it's been moving, um, you know, and of course it's always on my mind that my beloved runway 30 is no longer. Um, and and uh, um, what other runways whoa, 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 whoa. are? You soloed on runway 3? Three? 30. Three zero. Three zero. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Runway 30 at Palo Alto. Um, that's now runway 31. Oh. So uh, what other runways are beloved to us pilots, all right? Um, and, and to me anyways, um, the Oshkosh runways are, are both beloved and, and, you know, kind of the fact that they are perfect compass, you know, orientation, north-south and east-west, you know, uh, you know 3618 and 279, you know, I, right? I, I feel about this question, you know, certainly – you know, I have memories of other runways, but my favorite runway is the runway I'm on. Yeah, okay, there is there that. you go. Yeah. But I just wonder if it's going to change the Oshkosh experience when instead of landing on nine two seven, you land on on ten two eight. All right, it's just not the same. I think we should get a waiver. <laughs> yeah, right. You're right because that won't cause any confusion. No, no. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna keep calling it nine two seven even when it's like you know thirty degrees off because because we just love those numbers. Well, I if it's if it gets thirty degrees off, I think we've got a whole different set of problems. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, on Twitter, there's this, somebody's dinging. What's going on there? On Twitter, uh, someone by the name of Jono Kimber. Um, uh, uh, writes, uh, interesting question for the pilots out there. Do you prefer modern glass cockpit displays or old-style analog gauges and dials? All right. Um, and uh, That's an interesting question. I, I, Pre- prefer I, is doing a lot of work there. Yeah, and prefer. So you know, there's, there's a question of which you like better, and there's a question, question of whether which is, is, is more, I don't know, useful or more effective or, or, or whatnot. And... Uh, um, I, I like, 
I like the user interface. I like the experience of the steam gauges. I, I like the circular dials and and whatnot. Um, I, I've never flown an aircraft that had so-called tape displays, you know, the kind of like... But I've played with simulators that have that, and I find it disorienting. Um, now, I suppose well, if I did it enough, you'd get used to it pretty quickly. Well, yeah, that's... that's of course you find it disorienting because all of a sudden in nothing resembling the conventional six-pack image that you're used to, they throw this stuff together in a logic best explained by an engineer as opposed to a pilot. Why this airspeed is there, the vertical speed is there, altitude is there, the vertical tapes, uh, the overlying or the uh, uh, directional gyros compass rows on it it's sometimes it's straight up and down sometimes it's at an angle to make it look 3d uh they you got to get you got to get used to any of them and you got to get wired into what they're telling you uh to be for them to be safe yeah. as well as useful yeah but the benefits are in my mind at least uh, they're off the scale uh compared to the good old Familiar six-pack. Uh, reliability, lighter weight. Uh, you can get rid of a vacuum pump or a pressure pump, whatever you have. You simplify the systems, and when you get rid of that pump, you suddenly have a open uh, pad on which you can put a standby alternator. Uh, you know, that is if you're upgrading an airplane. If it came from the factory that way, it's probably already been done. But the reliability is is, is 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 quite an improvement, and it doesn't mean that they don't fail, uh, but the failures are usually in software and not in the, uh, uh, the you know, the microelectronic mechanical sensors that they use. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I uh, had enough suction pump failures in my time flying to look at the – ability to make a choice and say oh hell yeah i'm going class mm -hmm. yeah. it, it's interesting because this question came up for me in the last few weeks um um i, I was, flew the airplane into the, into a shop for some maintenance on other stuff and while i was in route um the or as i was in route and, and got on the ground the, the uh, directional gyro on my airplane failed um, so, okay. you know, fortunately I'm at a kind of an avionics shop and, and, and maintenance shop all at the same time. So I just had them add, uh, uh, replacing the DG to the list. Um, but we got to talking about, well, you know, overhaul DG is going to run you. I think it was in this, in this case, it was like $1,200. Um, and you know, maybe an hour to change it out. Uh, so there's that. So there's thirteen hundred dollars. Um, what's a G five going to cost to replace that? Mm -hmm. And G five for the DG is going to start at like twenty five hundred plus installation, and they're telling me forty hours installation. Really? For that device in my airplane because of all the stuff. I have already in all the stuff it can do. Um, mm -hmm. I th I think that's a little high, also, but that's what I was quoted. Um, 
And so I started peeling the onion a little bit more. Well, all right, so whatever dollar amount we're talking here, um, five grand, whatever, six grand, um, what does that get me? And what are my options? And all right, so I could go two G5s to get the upper one um, configured as a uh, artificial horizon and the lower one as a uh, directional gyro like I, like I have now or like I was thinking initially. And then if you, if you embrace that concept, well, then what about the, uh, the Aspen Avionics device that is uh, a rectangle on its edge or on its side, short side, so that you got a vertical presentation and you can put both the, uh, the AI information as well as the directional gyro plus airspeed, plus altitude, mm-hmm. plus yaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you want to, you know, really, and that's for the, like their entry level um, IFR uh, box. And if you really want to pay some freight, then you can get pretty much everything on that device with a moving map and, and weather and traffic and, and um, you know, your girlfriend's phone number. Um, but, you know, nothing, there's, nothing stops you here except money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't, I haven't made any decisions in, in part because I'm kind of curious as to what might be coming down the pike here in the next several months. Um, right. Um, but, uh, uh, it's, it's a question I, I'm, I'm less interested in the preference question than I am the options question. Mm-hmm. What does it all buy me? Um, one you know, one question I haven't answered is, well, all right, what's the weight savings going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, if I do both instruments, then I can literally get rid of the vacuum pump, which is a, a wet pump and, and it's probably heavier than a dry pump and also has some plumbing associated with it. So I can get rid of all that. How much does that weigh? I don't know. How much does um, the artificial horizon and the DG themselves weigh? Again, I don't know. I can find mm-hmm. out readily enough. Um, so those are all questions. Um, and uh, I'm starting to try to peel that onion a little bit. I don't know where I'm going right. to go. Right. But uh, uh, it, it's at least, you know, in my situation, it's not as simple as preference um, or, 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 or it's not as complicated as preference, there, okay. depending on how you look at it. There's a lot of other little questions that pop up. Sure. And uh, some of it's... You know, some of it's important, some of it's not. Some of it's like, just what are my preferences to get to the to get to decide whether I like glass or steam. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that neither one of you, though, is concerned about the relative reliability of the two different kinds of systems. Concerned? No, I know one is more reliable than the other. Which one is more reliable? Glass. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Jeb? Yeah, I would agree with that. It, it, there are levels of reliability. There are levels of concern. Again, I've got the wet pump, um, and I've never, in this airplane, had a vacuum pump failure, and that's more than 2,000 hours in this airplane. So I'm not too stressed. Um, I've never had um, a Horizon uh, failure either. But I also have a backup electric-powered horizon uh, that has, in fact, failed. Uh, it's been rebuilt once. Um, this is the first time I had a, uh, a problem with either the Attitude Horizon or the uh, or the DG. 
after all that service. So I'm not all that too stressed about such a failure in my airplane, in part because it's got the um, the wet pump. If it was a dry pump, like I have lost in the past, um, in severe clear, um, I wouldn't feel so, so sanguine about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to move on here, but let me ask you this question. So, hypothetically, if both kinds of systems, all right, so-called steam gauges versus so kind of glass gauges, um, if if money and weight were not an issue, if they were identical in those regards, do you have which do you prefer? Do you think? If which money, I, weight, and reliability were identical I, between I, I the can, two you know, user I can interfaces. I prefer as, as doing a lot of work there. Um, yeah. I would have to answer Steam. Uh, okay. Uh, but it's not that simple a question. I can get in, you know, any airplane with a standard six-pack configuration, I can get in and fly. Yeah. I can't, that's kind of a good point. Okay. Yeah. David, what do you think? If, you, would you ever, if everything else was equal, do you have a preference for one user interface versus the other? I'd go with the glass, uh, primarily because everything that you need to cover in your scan is right there in one spot. Yeah, and uh, the uh, the layout's so familiar to me now. I've flown behind enough of them often enough that I'd feel comfortable getting in anything. It'd give me fifteen minutes to taxi around and see how it reacts, and uh, and and I'm on my way. Never ceases to amaze me, Jeb. It never ceases to amaze me that David, who many people might consider to be the kind of old codger of the group here, <laughs> although keep in mind we're all basically the same age, but uh, it, that he is the most technically adventurous and knowledgeable. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where you're going. Is is uh, no, my it, point is it never ceases to amaze me. I, it, I, I always it is want, a valid I want, place. I want David to say. Why well, airplanes have never been the same since they added, you know, they got rid of the second wing, you know, and uh, I want the tail dragger is the only. Uh, no, David's totally. Jane, into the new you ignorant slut. No, David's <laughs> totally into the new, new technology. He understands this stuff. He explains it as good as anybody I know. It just never ceases to amaze me, David. I don't know. Okay, I don't know what that no. all means. Anyways, well, all right. Well, yeah. thank, thanks, Jack. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, now, I get, you, you know that part of that is because I spend a hell of a lot of my time writing about this yeah, stuff. Exactly. Right, but you write about it because you're interested in it yeah. on some level, all right? You know, and yeah, so. Well, and, anyway. and studying systems to put in the YX, you know, it's like. Yeah. Uh, there are guys that are still building experimental aircraft and they're using steam gauge, and there's not a damn thing wrong with it. Uh, in fact, it, the weakness in my feelings about glass, uh, it kind of go back to the, the one thing I feel weak about weakest about them is that I think every student pilot should spend the first five or six hours flying in front of steam gauges so that they can get to develop an understanding of the interrelationship of all these instruments because one reacts to what the others do mm-hmm. and that's not as obvious on a on a primary flight display where you've got all this stuff stripped in, the vertical gauges and uh, and the DG at whatever angle. Uh, but when you're flying steam gauges and your instructor's teaching you how to use it, wow, that hurt. Uh, the uh, interrelationship between them becomes much more obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, uh, if you go into a shallow dive and you're 
attitude indicator doesn't show it. Your vertical speed will show it, and so will your airspeed indicator. Uh, if you start to drift into a slight turn, uh, even if the attitude indicator doesn't indicate it right away, you'll see it in the turn coordinator. You'll see it in the directional gyro. Yeah. Uh, so that interrelationship's really important to understand. Mm-hmm. But I think after five or six hours of that, uh, say after you've soloed, that's a good time to transition to class, which will add a little bit of the training time to it because it's going to be foreign. It's going to be different. Yeah. But once right. you figure it out, it's as easy as a six-pack. Yeah, I think one. Last, I think one. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, one thing that's being overlooked here is, yeah, I if it was a glass airplane, um, I can get in it, spend fifteen minutes familiarizing myself, and launch on any severe clear day. Absolutely fine, no worries. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to fly at IFR, I'm going to want more than that fifteen minutes. Oh yeah, and yeah, and yeah. but. Um, I can get in a steam gauge airplane and fly it IFR right now. Yeah, that, absolutely. Right. That's that's to me the one of the big differences. Yeah. Um. So preference, you know, glass has a lot going for it. Not least of which is reliability. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> typically, okay. it's also going to be lighter and involve simpler systems. Right. So, Jono Kimber, I don't know if we've answered your question or not, no. but we we certainly have helped add to the confusion. Exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and I don't know if it's related. Let me ask you one last question that I think is – that makes – this subject makes me think of this question. Um, so, in your house where you have clocks that tell you the time, all right, in your kitchen or in your bathroom or, where, or bedroom, wherever you keep your clocks, okay, do you have a preference for digital clocks – in other words, it reads out numbers – Versus a clock with hands, right? An hour hand, a minute hand, that's, a second That's hand. an interesting question, and the, the question, is, the answer is yes. <laughs> and which one do you prefer? Both. They, yeah. they both have their application. Now, my night, do, my right? nightstand <clears throat> has a digital. My my entertainment center has a digital. Um, outside on the lanai, that clock is a dial. Mm-hmm. In part because I can read it from a long distance across the lanai for example whereas i can't read even a sometimes a big led uh, clock um because of sunlight or something like that uh from a distance mm-hmm. david how about you well my house has got such a mix of uh right. digital and analogs uh i like having both uh i've got a a uh analog on the headboard of the bed that i can see at night the, the hands glow uh the uh cable box and the uh, unused vcr across the bedroom they're digital and since the eye surgery a few years ago i can read them in the middle of the night i've got a uh, weather station in the living room it's got a big digital clock at the top and sitting right next to it is a uh, Looney Tunes analog clock, battery-powered. And I look at it about as often as I look yeah. at the other one. Uh, so you, Daffy's left hand is on the 6, and Daffy's right hand is on the 4. Yep. Um, yeah. Oh, this is going to come up in the next board meeting. What? The, the, Looney, the, lo- the Looney, Looney Tunes clock. I love it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, fun, to, uh, to our to our dear listeners, we are so sorry, but you're going to be you're going to be hearing the phrase 
um, what was different? Disney clock? What what was the clock? Looney, Looney Tunes, Tunes clock. clock. Excuse me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got all these cartoon characters. Okay. Yeah. I'm loving it. Just, I'm loving just it. To, just to weigh in here, all right? So I, I years in, when I was younger, I had I was big on clock that clocks ought to be have hands, all right? And my my rationale was that time is a is a changing thing, all right? And and that the the once you got used to reading a clock, um, the position of the hands were more than just giving you numbers, all right? They were giving you they were giving you a visual representation of where you were in the day or where you were in the hour, all right? Um, and so when you see the hand, you know, when you see the minute hand is pointing to the left, you have a kind of, uh, of, of, of gut feeling of how long it is before the hour happens. You know what I'm saying? All right. I believe that that, that is, has more information than just communicating the numbers. Um, and so, and the second hand for sure, watching the second hand sweep, if you, if you're timing something, um, I find that very, very useful. Having said that, (laughs) Having said that, um, I long ago realized that I cannot use an not cannot, but I really, really don't prefer um, a so-called analog clock by my bed. All right, because if I wake up in the middle of the night and try and read the clock, right, being half asleep, you know, and kind of like groggy. All right, I discovered that I really had a hard time, you know, grokking what the clock was right. telling me. Right. All right. Um, you know, it's like, is that our hand closer to the three or closer to the four? Or, you just or, didn't want to put on your glasses. Yeah, well, no, I can see it just fine. I, oh, okay. So, so I have digital clocks by my bed. I have digital clocks all over the place. Yeah. But given the choice, I tend to like clocks being analog, except when there's a very particular reason for it to be digital. That's it. All right, so, man, we beat this to death. Off-field landing of the week. Um, I thought there were two on this list, but there's actually just one. It's the same one. Um, both Jeb and listener Michael L. tuned us in to uh, this, uh, um, I don't know if it's an, actually an ultralight, it might be an LSA, but uh, a, uh, a small yellow airplane. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, David, uh, you're my go-to airplane identifier guy. Uh, what uh, what it, is that airplane? It, it, well, it's not, a, it's not an ultralight because it has two seats. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be either a light sport or an experimental amateur built in. It looks like a Challenger to me. Okay, Quad City Challenger. But. Yeah, and the uh, well, and the uh, the uh, article describes it as being an experimental aircraft, but I don't know if they really knew what they were talking about. Um, you know, so no, that that would be accurate then, unless yeah. it you know was uh, an SLSA. But uh, reading from uh, the NPR News, which I believe is Minneapolis, um, Minnesota. Yeah, Twin Cities. Uh, NPRnews.org. Uh, a small plane made an emergency landing Saturday on interstate th- on an Interstate 35 exit ramp north of the Twin Cities, uh, Chicago. Uh, not Chicago. Chisago, I'm assuming that's not a typo, Chisago County Sheriff's Office reported that no one was injured when the experimental two-seat plane landed on the southbound on-ramp in Stacy. The Sheriff's Office received the call, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. The pilot, a 47-year-old Cambridge man, taxied the plane. This is my favorite part. He taxied the plane to a nearby quick trip, a little mini-mart. Which, to me, to me, Begs the question of whether or not this was genuinely an emergency landing, or did he just need to, you know, like use the quickie mark? All right. 
up here in snowmobile country, or at least my uh, snowmobile country in New England, I have a number of friends who take great pride in the fact that they can ride their snowmobiles to the local Quickie Mart. Um, where they can both fill their gas tanks and uh, you know get more cigarettes. What is it, what is that white stuff on the ground in this photo? I know, huh? Um, and that was probably a nice warm day because it's gotten crazy cold up there. This was what the date on this, February third, which is right about the time it got like. This is the area of the country where it got to be like minus forty degrees. Well, the Fox Fox Channel Nine uh, video shows it at thirty five degrees as the video was shot. So. I, I imagine that's pretty representative of the temperature, the outside air temperature when the uh, when the little bird landed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thirty-five it, above it does, or below. It, sorry, above, above, above. It's got because be it's twenty. It's twenty-two wet. there now, according to this yeah. website. Yeah, the ground is wet in the twenty-four. Temperature, so it's got to be above. But, uh, twenty-four. But on, on, on top of that, it, it does give one pause to uh, realize that the engine was overheating on a thirty-five degree day. Yeah. Yeah, well, he actually. So the other link in this overheating because it didn't have story, any gas in it. You know, I believe this was Jeb's link. Um, refers to a Fox Nine dot com website where they had the same reporting on the same event. Um, Stacy uh, Dateline Stacy Minnesota. Um, a small yellow plane made an emergency landing Saturday morning on Interstate Thirty Five exit right exit ramp in Stacy Minnesota, according to and they also say Chisago. So I guess it wasn't a typo. Chisago County Sheriff's Office. Uh, the plane was overheating and had to make an emergency landing. The pilot Michael Robbins, age forty seven of Green Lake, Minnesota, saw that his plane was in an unsafe temperature to continue to fly and determined he needed to land quickly, um, according to the police officer. Quote unquote. Um, this is a quote from the pilot. My alarms started going off in my dash to let me know I have a serious problem. And then I started looking for a place to land. And that was the best option, he said. Um, and then later on, um, after he was on the ground, apparently he discovered that it was a coolant leak, apparently. Um, he, he lost coolant, and that's what caused the temperature to rise. Um, and apparently they fixed the leak and refilled the coolant there um, at the Quickie Mart. I don't know. They, 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 let, him take, they, they let him take off again. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I've heard of this happening to other people where they had to go to the bloody Fizdo to get a waiver, right? To, to take off again. Yeah, well, you know, Minnesota—they're they're a hardy folk up there, and uh, uh, but, uh, good for him. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, congratulations to uh, Michael Robbins uh, for getting on the ground safely and. Uh, um, in a truly precautionary thing, it doesn't sound like the airplane was really misbehaving yet. He was just getting a high temp, and he said, okay, I'm landing. Good for him. Yeah, the whole thing is just Looney Tunes to me. <laughs> okay. All right. It's just, okay. it, 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 the guy's got to be grateful that the uh, that the uh, quick trip was handy so that he could get some coffee and warm back up. Yeah. Well, we've not only reached the end of our allotted time, we're kind of getting over it. Um, uh, let's see now. We've got something about uh, uh, autonomy on drones. So I'm going to save that and talk about it later on. That uh, sort of won't go away. And I, it's it's a, a longer question. I want to talk about um, the whole question of autonomous drones and what that really means. Um, so we can come back to that later on. Or maybe we'll talk about it in the after show. I don't know. Time will tell. Um, David, what's this AOPA useful tool? A simple ADSB out selector tool from the folks in Frederick. Oh, yeah. I put that on the list, didn't I? Yeah. Is that a long story, or can you just quickly tell us what it is and why people ought to take a look? I, I, I think I could do it in 50 words. It's a little box chart where you answer yes or no, and depending on what you answer yes or no, points you in the direction of the right equipment for your airplane. And also answers a question uh, about what airspace you're going to be flying in and what you would need to fly in that airspace. 
for example, if you're going to be flying above flight level 180 in, in Class A airspace, you, know, you got to use a 1090 megahertz extended squitter transponder. But below that, you can use a universal access transceiver or the MODES transponder. So it's just a little tool to help you get through for those of you that haven't uh, haven't answered these questions for yourselves yet. Uh, we're down to just a little over 10 months. Yeah, I know. It's coming, folks. It's coming. I presume that this is a AOPA member service. You've got to be a member in order to take advantage of this. Or? Uh, you know, it is, I didn't have to log in to use this link. Oh, really? Okay. Well, go yeah. to the AOPA dot, is it org um, website or, well, or, or we'll, well, we, put a link. we can We can put the link in the in yeah, the we'll show. definitely put the link in the show notes. I'm just yeah. some people don't want to go to the show notes and so on. Um, but uh, cool, AOPA does a lot. They, they have been they were always a pioneer in terms of providing, um, you know, all kinds of tools and information online. I remember way back in the very earliest days of the internet, they were they were doing stuff and uh, good on them, AOPA. I'm thinking about going to the. Uh, I was looking at the list of uh, AOPA fly-ins for uh, for 2019, and. Uh, Sadly, there's fewer of them this year for some reason. I don't know what that's all about. Um, but uh, one of them will be at the home base in Frederick. And I put it on my calendar. I think so it's the first one. Yeah, I think it is the first one. And uh, um, I put it on my calendar in the hopes that maybe I can, I can, I, that I will be around and I can actually go down to it. I haven't been to Frederick in a long time. Um, I mean, well, I haven't been to Frederick for any reason. I, I went, I went to the back in the days when the home, when they, what did they call it, homecoming? Um, well, they're having was, it this year in Frederick. They're having one of them anyway. Yeah, well, and they've had one in Frederick every year. Um, Since they started this regional fly-in thing, um, there's always been one of them in Frederick. And uh, um, this year there's Frederick and I believe two more. Um, So I don't know why they've cut back, but, you know. Anyways, uh, yeah, good on AOPA. If you're not an AOPA member, you probably ought to be um, if you're a pilot or if you're even just an aviation enthusiast. You have to be a pilot to be a member of AOPA. Well... Do you? Yeah. Or an I, owner. Well, you want to commit fraud. I mean, no, does it really? I Well, so. You couldn't, yeah, I couldn't join AOPA until I'd sell it. Okay. Such a long time ago. I get, I'll take your word for it. I, I, that okay, was definitely okay, what I thought. Okay. Go buy an airplane. Then you can be a member of AOPA. You don't have yeah, to be no, a pilot. No, 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 no. no. Well, this, this, this came up when... Uh, Back in the early 80s when AOPA under John Baker decided that the association was going to get involved in a supportive way with the ultralight movement. And about a third or more of the people flying ultralights were already licensed pilots, but were embracing ultralights for something less expensive to fly and less complicated. But there was a whole big chunk that weren't licensed pilots like me uh, you know i came through hang gliding and they modified the rules some so that if you were being if you're flying ultralights that uh, you could join they counted that as flying so you you, okay. you, could, you could join jack well okay all right never oh, mind. Ooh. <laughs> never mind all ooh. right yeah i know i know i heard that too and i'm gonna let it just roll off my <laughs> that's that's just looney tunes just yeah right. <laughs> shout outs what do we got here anything going on here um i don't know i'll see now. i got one i got go one. ahead nasa yeah um they uh i think it was yesterday shut down 
Opportunity Rover on Mars. Uh, so sad. They, they pulled the plug on that. It was, um, the the Opportunity Rover had was scheduled to conduct, I think, ninety days of science. Uh, scheduled to be operational for like ninety days. Yep. And it's been uh, up until recently. Uh, it worked for like fifteen years, something fifteen yeah, years, something like yeah. that. And the only reason it apparently has has failed, and we're not even really sure of that you know hope hope springs eternal, but um, um, a sand it wandered into a sandstorm, or a sandstorm right. came across it and right. blanked out its solar panels, and so it ran out of power. Ran out of power, and uh, you know maybe one of these days there'll be enough breeze that will that will wipe those solar panels clean. And it'll power up again. We'll we'll keep our fingers crossed. That would be pretty cool. That would be I that would be that, very cool. Because they've been, yeah. This this uh, they they sort of initially lost contact with it quite some time it's ago. It's been like, like a year, maybe nine months, like a year. You know? And they've had a schedule of every X, you know, weeks or months or whatever. They they you know try and communicate with it again. And and this was the last, according to their plan, this was the last time they were going to try and connect right. to it. And they, and, yeah. and so they've declared it gone but you're right you never know you never know um, but and, but uh, they, they did a great job um uh with the science and, and with this engineering uh, remarkable uh, yeah and the other the other rovers still still going yeah yeah I, I was i was surprised i was looking at some twitter stuff the other day and and there was talk about the other rover which is uh, a curiosity i believe it's called um and uh, curiosity apparently has been in one location for some time and they decided to send it on the move again. And so I was watch. I was reading these things about Curiosity on the move, and I was thinking, wait a minute, is this the one that was asleep and it woke up? And it, but then I discovered it yeah. wasn't. Yeah, well, that's, that's the uh, other thing. This is not the only uh, device up there. The only uh, right. um, uh, exploring robot right. on Mars. There were yeah right. There were two rovers, um, Opportunity and Curiosity. Opportunity has now um, been been you know kind of retired, if you will. Um, and uh, and then Curiosity is apparently still on the move, a similar kind of crazy, longer-than-expected lifetime. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, the one that just landed recently, which isn't a rover, is uh, uh, I'm blanking on its name. But it's, there's a, one. it's a non-rover. Right, it, and it's so it's in a fixed location and is doing all kinds of science at one particular right. spot. And right. uh, So, uh, yeah. You know what, say what, and some people, I love NASA, you know, um, but even the naysayers have to look at this and go, "Wow, you know, this is impressive. Yeah, it is some good work here. It, it really know? is. Um, you know, I mean, the whole metric versus inches thing was embarrassing, but that's other well. Than that. Let's see if they went to the metric compass, we wouldn't have to deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Farewell, uh, opportunity. You, you did some good work. You did some good work. What? What? Whatever happened to uh, spirit? Uh, good question. I don't know. I, I confess I don't know sh- all these different names. Shame and, in this day and age. Yeah, I know. I know. Anyways, other shout outs. What do you got? David, you got something? Yeah. Quick and dirty. If you, uh, if you, uh, going to Sun and Fun this year, yeah. there's two night shows again. And this year, the, both night shows are going to have performances by autonomous information drones with lights on them. There's lights in those cows. Bring your uh, own shotgun. <laughs> I, yeah. Now, is this the same team that was at Oshkosh last summer? Do you know? I do not know. Because I missed, I really wanted to see this at Oshkosh last summer, and I, I was only at Oshkosh for a few days. And although 
I was there for a show that this performed. I, I just wasn't able to make it down to the show line to, to see these drones do their thing, and I really wanted to. So I'm, this will be cool. I'm looking forward to this at, at Sunpoint, where I will be there all week long. Seriously, do um, you get points for how many you can shoot down? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The waiver must be incredible. Do they have to waiver for every single one of these? There's like hundreds of them in the little swarm. Um, probably not. Well. It's probably it's, not. It, well, it, it, when when you when you're flying formation, you, they they treat the formation as one aircraft. So yeah, okay, that's a scary concept in itself. Swarms, <laughs> swarming drones is like a nightmare for me. I, I was like, are you kidding me? That's like you know, talk about the robots uprising. Um, what this country needs is a good five cent robot repellent. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the uh, so the Super Bowl? They had they had these drone drone things at Super Bowl. Um, and apparently, because and, the airspace around the Super Bowl, as usual, was seriously locked down. Um, but according to the stories I saw, they, they apparently didn't even need a waiver because they flew the drones at the Super Bowl completely inside the enclosed, you know, stadium structure. Yeah, they, they, that's they, what I read. They needed a waiver. Tr- trust me on e- this. E- to, well, oh yeah, you probably a right. because of the the notum that prohibited anything without clearance or a waiver, B, uh, because they're flying these over people's heads. Yeah, although I don't know if they got over people's heads. But, yeah, I take your point. You're, you're, you're probably right. You're probably right. Yeah, waiver, schmaver. I mean, the FAA was looking very closely at this. Speaking of waivers, I really wanted to talk about this, and I forgot. Maybe what? I, so um, uh, are you done with talking about uh, uh, I have, uh, I have, I have, drones? I have one other, one other little snarky thing to do, maybe, but depending right, on what you're hold doing. The, hold the snarky thing. Um, <laughs> so I'm driving through Fremont, New Hampshire the other day. Fremont, New Hampshire is just to the east of Lookout Point, um, little town, New Hampshire. All right. Um, now, go back in time. I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the podcast. There was a news story about a year or so ago about a company that was setting up to experiment with tethered aerostats. Um, and they were going to be based in Fremont, New Hampshire. All right. And um, apparently they're experimenting to use these, I think, for providing Internet coverage or something like that. All right. Wireless Internet or something like that. Um, but that they were going to be flying these aerostats out of this location in Fremont, New Hampshire. All right. And I, I sort of had tracked it down on the map, and I sort of had a basic idea of where this was located, and that's the most – I'm driving through Fremont, New Hampshire the other day, and suddenly I see in the sky right in front of me an aerostat, all right? I see one of these these blimpy kind of balloon things, all right? Um, and, um, and I'm going, there it is. I've never seen that before. There it is. And so I immediately stop, and I'm taking pictures and shooting video and trying to you know get close to it. And I actually got to the actual access road into their facility – and took some pictures. Um, but here's, I guess, my real question. And it's kind of interesting. I would estimate that it was on its tether about 200 feet above the ground, give or take 100 feet. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it probably wasn't lower than two. Two to three, something like that. Um, but here's my question. Does that require a notum? Because I went looking to see whether or not there was a notum um, for this tethered aerostat, um, and I couldn't find it. Uh, now, I don't know. Do notums... Are notums available after they've expired? They can be. It depends. Um, let's. There's a uh, push the pause button. Okay. 
I'm not sure a NOTAM would be required until they got above 400 feet. And that, that's so that, part that's, of my question. Yeah, that's the other, yeah. that's the other part of the answer. Um, let's see. While you're looking it up, I, so I, I remember when the story first came out, this troubled me because, well, first of all, because I fly around this area when I fly. Um, and there was talk at the time that they were going to test this thing up to some pretty serious um, elevation, you know, altitudes, you know, t- 10,000 feet plus, all right? Um, and, uh, and it just seemed inadvisable to me, if only because, and so I fly, out of, fly airliners out of Manchester all the time, all right? And there's a very obviously standard departure procedure um, where you take, out of, take off out of Manchester, coincidentally fly more or less right over Lookout Point, um, probably because there's an intersection called Ramey right, right, right near there, um, fly and then fly from there sort of east towards the coast and then turn south near the, uh, near the coast um, and then fly down over the north shore of Boston and then turn westbound. Um, very, very common departure. Do it all the time, all right? The, 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 the punchline here is that that departure course takes you within three or four miles of this aerostats location. And I, I just wondered about the wisdom of having an aerostat flying that close to a very, very common airline, uh, airliner um, departure procedure. Um, and so when I actually saw one in the sky, I thought, i got to go find this NOTAM. Now, having said that, are, are you finding anything? I haven't really. What's the name of the town again? Well, the town is Fremont, New Hampshire. Uh, Fremont, F-R-E-M-O-N-T, New Hampshire. Um, the nearest airports would be probably Portsmouth, PSM, Papa Sierra Mike, um, or, or Manchester, Mike Hotel Tango. Um, and uh, and I, I tried to do these searches both through, uh, through ForeFlight and through the net, the Internet. And I, I didn't find, but by the time I was looking, it could well be that they were done doing what they were doing and it had expired. I don't know. Um, so anyways, um, hmm. um, I'm having trouble, um, with the, um, search function on the FA website, which is not the first time. Um, but yeah. there's, a. um, um a website called pilotweb.nas.faa.gov that uh, supposedly has all the NOTAMs, but I don't think it has historical NOTAMs. Okay. Well, maybe we'll revisit this later on. I'll, I'll send you guys what the pictures are. They're not great, but they're interesting. And uh, uh, so, yeah. Uh, snarky shout out, Jeb. Um, <laughs> snarky shout out. That's what you called yes, it. I, 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 just, I just want to congratulate. Uh, Hill, Avia- Hill Aviation, I think it is, at the uh, um, Fulton County, Georgia, Brownfield Airport. They, I think, have set the record for the service fees levied on general aviation aircraft. <laughs> okay, yeah. I just want to note for the record that they should be up there in that, that pantheon of, of rarefied air uh-huh. uh, where... Um, you can get away with charging $1,700 for the privilege of making a reservation in Atlanta for to park a single-engine piston for the Super Bowl. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know. Congra- yeah. Congratulations. you really surprised? Congratulations, guys. It looks like you got away with it. Yeah. I mean, 
What's the nature of this airport? Is this it's, a municipal airport? It's, it's a, a county airport. It's it's a reliever for Atlanta, for Hartsfield. It's it's a busy uh, GA and business aircraft airport. It doesn't have any scheduled service, to my knowledge. Um, and they're just charging what the what the you know what the market will bear. More power yeah. to them. But holy manana, man! <laughs> yeah, seventeen hundred. How did you come up with seventeen? Why not fifteen? Why not two thousand? Why not seventeen fifty? <laughs> uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, how, how did you come up with seventeen hundred dollars? Yeah. Okay. okay. So, in other words, stay away from the Super Bowl is is, is uh, uh, the lesson learned here, right? Look before you jump. Um, yeah. Right. Um, anyways. Anyway. Okay. That's that's that that's is my snark. For, is it fork time? Time time to stick a fork in this thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. All right. Yeah. What time? Oh yeah. It's really fork time. Uh, well, thank you guys. It's always a blast. Uh, this was fun, and uh, I'm sorry I was talking so much at the beginning, although nobody heard that. Um, but my two good friends here, Captain Jeb, Jeb Burnside. Captain uh, Jeb. Uh, that's what it says on my little thing here. I just read it. Captain Jeb, Jeb Burnside, El Piloto Loco is what it says here. How uh, old is that? It's been That's a note I wrote a long time ago. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Uh, trying to, to not live up to the El Piloto Loco framing. Um, <laughs> but um, picking up the pieces from the... Uh, the March April uh, uh, production uh, of the March April of Aviation Safety and uh, uh, licking my wounds a little bit and, and gearing up for the uh, for the uh, May, uh, April issue. I kind of conjugate my months here because uh, it's it was January when I finished the magazine. It was it's February now. It's the March issue, and it'll be March before I finish the April issue. So. Uh, I get confused sometimes on, on, on. I can on imagine. What, but, sure. Uh, Aviation Safety Magazine is a good place to learn more. AviationSafetyMagazine.com, yeah. excuse me. Uh, mm-hmm. And then um, let's see, I uh, will be on AEA.net uh, in, in, in the coming months. Um, sometimes you might even see my name on AINOnline.com. Um Gosh, avweb.com uh, and um, um, who knows what else. Uh, Twitter. Oh, the Twitter machine, uh, Burnside J on Twitter. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. And Dave Higdon. So my note here for Dave Higdon, it says, Senior Capitan Higdon. <laughs> Both of these are references from stories that we were told on the podcast over the past 10 years. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it as an exercise to the listener to dig out which story, that, which episode that was. <laughs> Good luck. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Well, nice folks at uh, Avionics News have a couple of my stories in their uh, February issue. Uh, and one of them is uh, as complete an overview as I could generate on ADSB solutions for those that haven't gone that uh, far yet. Uh, and. My weekly blog in uh, Buyer Magazine, uh, that's already been turned in. It'll be out tomorrow, and I don't remember what I talked about. Well, we'll have to look and find out. I, I have that. Yeah. I have that. that It'll be yeah. a surprise. It's been three weeks. To all I've of us. It's been three weeks working on an article, and all of a sudden, I can't remember what it's about after it's published. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. We won't go into exactly why that is, but yeah, that's why it is. Uh, David, where can people find out about all this stuff on the Internet? 
Oh, at avbuyer.com for my work with the nice folks over in London, uh, aea.net for avionics news. I'm uh, real Higdon on the Twitter machine, uh, although I don't always feel as real as I do today. Uh, And just Google Dave Higdon and aviation and all sorts of stuff will come tumbling out. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, just got back from uh, longer than usual, almost two and a half weeks. Um, but the good news was it was in relatively warm weather. I was down in Orlando for a week, and then I was in San Antonio, Texas for a week and a half. Um, I like San Antonio, Texas. If you have never been, you know, everyone thinks of Austin and obviously the Dallases and the Houstons and whatnot. San Antonio is a really, really nice town. A lot of great restaurants. Um, uh, a downtown that they they put a lot of energy into making interesting and uh, and of course the Alamo is there which wasn't bad originally wasn't good originally but now is very pleasant and, uh, uh, the, the river walk is just a great place to the uh, river walk is really really a remarkable thing and uh, they put a lot of energy into keeping it updated you know uh, up into upkeep um, and to keep it safe quite frankly it norm, you know left to its own devices it could be a really dangerous area and it's not they they do a good job. Um, yeah, the uh, San Antonio Riverwalk is very, very cool. And all of everything around downtown um, is is uh, very nice. Um, so San Antonio. Um, I'm home now for a couple of weeks, and uh, and then I turn around. I actually go back to Orlando for another job, um, followed by Las Vegas. So, uh, yeah. And then by then it'll be almost spring. Oh, yeah, you know. So in my mind, spring is like, you know, eight days away. Um, because basically I'm in New England for another eight days and then, the next day I spend in New England is spring, so um, this will be good. Looking forward to it. Um, you can find me online in, uh, let's see, most of the usual places you can find me online with the username Jack Hodgson. That's my first last name with no spaces or dots or anything. For example, YouTube.com slash Jack Hodgson, Twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, Patreon. Uh, com slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, on Amazon, you can search for my ebooks. Just search for Around the Field in the books section. Um, and you can sign up for my occasional email newsletter by going to my uh, home homepage, uh, jackhodgson.com. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Key to long life and happiness is aviation because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. But then you knew that. Bye bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. That's just Looney Tunes. That's all, folks. Perfect.